Thank you to our sponsors, the Open Society Foundations, an organization that works to build vibrant and inclusive societies whose governments are accountable and open to participation of all people. And welcome to another episode of Tell Black Stories podcast. I'm your host, Rashad Robinson, president at Color of Change. The Tell Black Stories podcast was created as an extension of Color of Change Hollywood, an initiative changing the written and unwritten rules in Hollywood. We collaborate with like-minded insiders and influencers to change representations of black people and issues affecting black people across the media landscape. Today, I'm here with social media activists, icon and founder, my friend, um, and the leader of the movement known as Oscar So White, April Rain. Thank you so much for joining us, April. Thank you for having me. It is great to have you here. I'd love to just jump right in and Absolutely. start off by talking, um, you know, for folks who may think that um, Oscar So White was about counting numbers, um, that we just each season we're going to look and see the numbers. Give us sort of a, a, um, a, a kind of an insider's look at sort of both um, what you're trying to accomplish and where you see sort of the project at right now. Sure. The goal for Oscar So White is increased opportunity for all traditionally underrepresented communities. So not just race and ethnicity, but also mm -hmm. gender and gender identity and sexual orientation and disability and age and First Nation status. All people who have traditionally been marginalized within the entertainment industry. And in fact, it's not just about the Oscars anymore because the Oscars are truly at the end of the line. We need to start at the very beginning and who those screenwriters are so we can have really substantive conversations about whose story is being told and who's telling those stories. You started a movement on social media, leveraging social media to start a movement, but it has become so much more. And so, and as you said, you're working across many different sectors. Sort of what are some of the projects and activities? What are the sort of things that you're doing each day to sort of reach those goals? Yeah, so um, what I'm loving right now is working with studios and networks and even brands in the corporate world to have conversations about what things look like both in front of and behind the camera. So all too often, Often we see um, incredible marketing campaigns that are typically very, very expensive, but they get it completely wrong. Mm -hmm. And then black Twitter and other social media platforms sort of drag them uh, to the ends of the earth. And the reason those things are happening is because they do not have um, traditionally underrepresented communities in the room when decisions are being made. And if they do have one or two people, those people don't feel like they have the agency to speak up and say, hey, this isn't the way we, we're going to go. You're not going to be able to solve racism with a sip of soda or whatever the case may be. Maybe we need to recalibrate what our message is. And so, you know, for me, it's about success um, and success for corporations, for organizations, for networks, for studios means ensuring that the best possible people in the room are getting the opportunities and that they're casting a wider net to ensure that you've got the best possible people working. So when we speak out at Color of Change on award shows, um, on sometimes the lack of diversity in terms of the nominees, um, inevitably, I can almost time it. I will get someone coming back at us saying, you know, why do you care what those sort of like white institutions, why are you so hungry for their validation, validation yep. and awards? Um, shouldn't you just build your own? Um, shouldn't you just um, not care what they think? 
Um, there are all sorts of economic sort of implications to how these shows set up and what they drive in the industry. And, you know, black people are building their own stuff, so it's not an either or. Can you talk through that? Because I know you must get it as well. Absolutely. I hear that all the time. You know, why are you looking to the white man for validation? Yeah. Why don't you build your own? Well, we do have our own. We have the NAACP Image Awards and the BET Awards and the GLAAD Awards and the ALMA Awards. Those award shows aren't as supported by us yeah. as they should be, right? And for better or for worse, and we can definitely have that conversation, the Oscars is still considered the pinnacle of the film industry. Now, I'm really interested, now that you know Oscar So White has been around for five years, I'm interested in having the conversation about whether the Academy is still relevant. Um, because what we know is that the Academy members are not required to view the films before they vote. Mm. That's gripping. And so if that's the case, that means it becomes a popularity contest. And even after the Academy's commitment to doubling the number of people of color and doubling the number of women within its ranks by this year, 2020, um, the Academy is still 84% white and 68% male. So now we're talking about a popularity contest amongst older white males. Mm -hmm. And so we should never be surprised, but we can be disappointed with the way the nominations look because it's through their lens. Typically, when someone is nominated for an award or wins an award um, of any of the award shows, it means a bump, right? It means more ticket sales because the community audience moviegoers say, oh, okay, this movie must be something good. Let me go out and see it. Um, it may mean for some that there's an extra zero at the end of their next paycheck. Auditions may become easier for them. And so there, there are monetary gains sometimes um, with respect to awards. What we also know, though, is that especially for black women who have won um, the Academy Award or even been nominated, we haven't seen that bump in opportunity for them. So mm. if you think about Holly Berry, Octavia Spencer, Viola Davis, um, Whoopi Goldberg, you know, so we're spanning several decades, those women are still having to audition for every single role and it's not as easy as we would think having the phrase Oscar nominee or Oscar winner after their name. Very famously, Octavia Spencer a couple of years ago said, she had to go to LeBron James for financing for one of her films. And in fact, she had to go to Jessica. She received help from Jessica Chastain yeah. to negotiate her salary on her film. Yep. Now, Octavia is an Oscar winner, so you would not think that it would be that difficult. And she had to go to a white woman, a non-Oscar winner, to ensure that her salary was on parity with her colleagues. That shouldn't happen. And so, again, we need to talk about the relevancy of the Academy if people of color, once they are finally nominated and or win, don't receive that bump in opportunity that we would expect. So you've got like status quo systems that are set up and designed to get certain types of results to kind of pat a system on its back and celebrate it and has all sorts of implications downstream for people to even be able to get inside That's in right. the club. Um, you know, there was a lot of talk, you know, like five years ago, four years ago, sort of the start of Oscar So White around what the Academy was going to do to fix it. Mm -hmm. um, and there was like a lot of conversation about um, we're, you know, adding more people to the voting body. And you just sort of laid out some numbers that um, kind of, you know, feel like a Republican National Convention, bad. Um, not sort of a, a, a creative community rooted in Hollywood. But it is what it is. You, the, you released, the, you laid out those numbers. I'm interested in what did the Academy actually change back when they said they were changing things, and if there's any like thing that you can say about sort of like 
kind of what are, are there benchmarks or demands that sort of we need them to shoot for with a recognition that the status quo has said they changed things and then it's gotten this result. Yeah, so five years ago uh, in 2016, um, a year after Oscar So White and the second, after the second time that there were no people of color nominated for any of the acting categories. So there were 20 slots that, were, uh, that went to a homogenous group. The Academy said that they were going to double the number of people of color and in fact they did. They went from 8% to 16%. But what we know is the fastest growing demographic of actual moviegoers is the Latinx community. And they are woefully underrepresented, both within the academy and with, you know, in front of and behind the camera. You know, the only place that they see themselves is in the seats, and rarely with films like Coco and mm -hmm. Roma. And obviously, those are only one facet of their experience. The academy also said that they were going to double the number of women within the ranks from 25 to 32%. So they fell significantly short there. Um, and in the history of the Academy, I believe five or six women have been nominated for Best Director and only one has ever won in over 90 years. You can't tell me that we don't have qualified directors, um, female directors that are doing the work and who should be recognized at what is considered to be the highest level. Now, uh, the Academy, <laughs> in the five years that this has gone on, has never contacted me. Uh, so we have never had, yet. Yeah, look at the really? shot. Really? Uh -huh. So we have never I assumed, had... because you know, we had one back and forth engagement with the Academy, so I assumed that, and when it didn't go far, I was like, okay, you must be talking to April. Nope, and, they weren't talking um, to anybody at all. And, and I think that's the problem, because you could have told them, yes. I could have told them, yes. that going from 8% to 16% isn't going to solve the problem. Yes. You know, what else are you doing? And so I think that's where we need to push the Academy now. Okay, you set those initial benchmarks. They also initially said that for people who had not been active in the movie industry but were Academy members, so let's say they were nominated or won awards back in the 70s or the 80s, that their vote may be sort of grandfathered because they're not active in the film community. I thought that was kind of a great idea because it meant that it would be an incentive for them to share their brilliance. Like there's a reason why you're an Oscar-nominated filmmaker. Yeah. So why not get involved with um, a younger filmmaker, give them some tools of the trade, help them hone their craft, and that way you would be active in the film industry again, your vote would still count, and you would be passing on your knowledge to the next generation. There were a lot of older or, or more experienced Academy members who pushed back hard on that, and so the Academy let that drop. So now here we are in 2020. You've sort of hit your benchmark, but you missed one of them. Um, you received backlash with respect to who can actually vote. What are you going to do now? Right. As we see, the um, viewership for the actual Oscars has been going down precipitously every year, especially since Oscar's so white. If people aren't tuning in, if more consumers and moviegoers are becoming more savvy and saying, you know what, if you're not representing us, we're not going to give you our hard-earned dollars through either subscription services to watch TV and movies at home mm -hmm. or in the movie theater. Um, and we're not going to give you the ratings for Oscars night, which you need year yes. after year, then what is next for the Academy? And I'm not sure that they have an answer for that. So we hear the one thing like, you know, uh, why do you want validation? There's the other thing you probably hear. Um, is like sort of the apolitical argument. Mm -hmm. Like these are just stories, the best rise to the top. You know, we, uh, Dick Wolf, um, the sort of famous creator of the mm -hmm. Law and Order series, um, 
Um, he was recently asked at a at a at a critics association television critics association upfront gala where they were asking him about his shows and he they asked him about Law and Order. You know, this has a special interest to us at Color of Change as we are been pushing on crime TV, and they said, you know, do you feel it's it's you know contributed to challenges in our criminal justice system? And he said, my shows are apolitical. Um, like you could create a show in a city with cops and poor communities and communities of color and district attorneys and mayors and it could be uh -huh. apolitical. But you hear these apolitical arguments all the time from people who live behind big gates and don't have to go out into the real world. Sure. How do you both push back on that? Um, but what do you say to folks who just, who like, just, you know, want to watch their movie? You know, I think it goes both ways, especially in these turbulent times, you know, under the Trump administration. I think we're all looking for nostalgia yeah. and we're all looking for escapism. So if I can sit in a darkened theater for two hours and just sort of turn my brain off and not have to worry about what's outside those doors, I, I appreciate and respect that. I think we all need that. At the same time, you know, the phrase art imitates life and life imitates art. And so if what you're showing is there are um, nothing but poor black and brown people that are getting arrested on these TV shows, you know, or the, the one law enforcement officer who is a person of color, it turns out to be a really bad guy, mm -hmm. um, you know, then what is that saying about what people think every time they're walking down the street and, you know, and they're interacting with black and brown communities? Um, so it does matter. There's nothing that is apolitical. You know, you can think about a show like um, All Rise with Simone Missick in which she plays a yeah. black judge. That's really important, not only for young you know, black girls and boys to see that they can ascend to those heights, but also with respect to the way that she challenges justice and yes, what that means. Right. Um, so there, there are some shows that are doing it right. Yes. Um, but you know, I, I, there's nothing in my world that's apolitical. Yes, I love that. There's nothing in your world that's apolitical. I love that. Um, so you know, there have actually been some, you know, some blips in this moment. Like a couple, you know, we we had an experience with like the Black Panther year yes. where we were like. We done right. made it, y'all. <laughs> right. Like, and we didn't, like, yes. Was, and yes. I, I got like, that oh. a lot, you know. Yes. Oh, well, Moonlight won, so clearly Oscar So White is over. It's like, well, yes. Barack Obama won, you know. <laughs> yes. So yes. we still have issues of discrimination, um, you know, and make. And so, what next, right? It's yeah. always thank you. What's next? Yeah. Um, and so I think we cannot. People like to cherry pick, you know. Oh, well, so and so was nominated, so clearly it's not that bad. And it's like, mm -hmm. but we're talking about the spans of over ninety years, and if you can talk about one film or one performance or one actor that you can think of and sort of trying to level the playing field, there's no way that you can do that when you're looking at the vast expanse of time mm -hmm. as opposed to one year or, you know, one film. What are you going to be looking for at this Oscars? It's, it's where we're, we're going to, you know, people will be watching. It is a, it is a huge cultural moment um, and um, the nominations were definitely disappointed to, to um, anyone that does the work that we do. What are you keeping your eyes on? Um, first and foremost, it's Best Animated Short Category, Hair Love by Matthew Cherry, which the, the film is fantastic. It's a six-minute short film, which is currently in theaters um, before Juman Jumanji 2. Um, but the entire story, how he crowdsourced on social media, mm -hmm. how it became a book first and a New York Times bestseller, and now here it is uh, nominated for an Oscar. Um, for somebody who, the hashtag that he uses, more than an athlete, right? 
right? Um, talking about the fact that he was formerly an NFL player. Now he, here he is, um, a filmmaker. It's an amazing story on its own, in addition to Hair Love itself being a great six-minute short. Um, in the best documentary category, we have St. Louis Superman, who, uh, which follows Bruce Franks, um, who mm -hmm. was on the ground in Ferguson. And so that's really interesting. And of course, all things Parasite. Um, you know, I'm very happy that Parasite was nominated. I have to question how you can have a film nominated for Best Director and Best Picture, but not nominate any of the actors or actresses, right? And and so that's never made sense to me. And you know, and I go all the way back to Selma in 2015 with Ava DuVernay. Like, how do you say? We love the vision of this film. We love everything about it. We think it's one of the 10 or eight best of the entire year, but we're not going to celebrate the person who brought us that vision mm -hmm. because directors matter. You know, I, I always use the example of Godfather 1 and 2, which I think are you know, two of the best movies ever made um, that were told through the lens of an Italian-American, Francis Ford Coppola. You know, so he brought his experiences to the screen. You take Godfather 1 and 2, you take out Francis Ford Coppola, you put in Michael Bay. Yeah. Completely different film. And that shows you how important a director is. So how is it that you can nominate a film to say it's one of the best of the year, but not say we appreciate and want to respect and acknowledge the vision of that director? So there isn't a lot for us to watch this year with respect to marginalized communities that have been nominated. But I think, uh, and you know, and we'll have to question whether we should be watching it all again because of um, you know not wanting to reward the Oscars because the bottom line in any business is money. And so if you're taking away the ratings, you're also taking away the money. And so then that might spur organizations, corporations, people like the Academy to actually make changes. Um, but you know, those are definitely the highlights for me this year. This structure, the Academy Awards, was set up so long ago and sort of in a very different world. And now there's new conversations, even about sort of like the categories, mm -hmm. right? About um, how we think about gender and how we think about the role, the various roles, and how does how does a how do how do trans folks get represented, mm -hmm. sort of in these categories? How do people who are playing trans um, get get who may not be trans themselves yeah. get um, represented in these categories? What is um, you know um, um, the way in which we have some categories that are gendered and other categories that are not gendered? Um, these are all, I think. Um, interesting conversations and I'm wondering like where do you stand like how are you thinking about this how does this relate to the Oscar so white which is as you said a really expansive view about changing the way in which um, Hollywood thinks about um, its reward system its pathways all the all the things that you're working on doing yeah, it, it's interesting, and I, I'm not sure that I have the answers yet. You know, and I really feel like trans folks need to lead on this issue, yeah. and then we need to listen to their voices. Um, for me, I believe, I think, I believe in genderless or gender neutral categories. So, like, we have best director and best cinematographer. Do we need separate categories for best actor and best actress? The concern, though, is. If you make it one category, we have to remember again who the voting membership is. And so the voting membership is overwhelmingly white and overwhelmingly male. Does that actually lead to even less opportunities because they may not be interested in seeing a movie like Pose or, you know, excuse me, a show like Pose or a movie like The Red Girl, uh, The Danish Girl by Ed, with Eddie Redmayne who played a trans woman. I absolutely believe that 
trans characters should be played by trans people. Yeah. There, there is no question that we have talented folks out there who can do that, and whose, again, whose lens, whose experience, we should be able to watch a film through. Um, so I, I have issues with that, with Jeffrey Tambor and Transparent not too long ago, and so on. Um, and I think, I think that the movie community is getting better with respect to that, um, but I'm afraid to um, fight too hard with respect to changing the categories if we are not also talking about changing the voting structure yeah. uh, to ensure that, that there's representation within the trans community so that you know they can push for and support their trans friends when they are nominated for awards. Not just cosmetic changes, right. but structural It has ones. to be. So people who may be watching you over the last five years and, and uh, the work that you've been doing, the, the, um, the conversations you've helped to fuel, um, the change that you've sparked. Um, you know, I always get this too, like people always like wonder, how'd you get here? Like, what was your path? Like, you know, none of us woke up in the morning completely woke with all of our yeah, stuff, sure. right? We are we are all on a journey. Yep. And I think it's important for people to know that, you know, you don't have, if you are not April Rain today, it is okay because April Rain wasn't always April Rain. She sure wasn't. And, <laughs> and the, proce the process for us getting there is also discovery yeah. and fun and whatever it was and painful at times or whatever it was. But I'd love for you to like share that because people are probably watching you um, grateful for your work and your service, but also wondering how they contribute themselves. Absolutely, and I talk about this all the time. I think I'm awesome, um, but there, there's absolutely nothing that I'm doing that other people can't do. Uh, in 2015, in January, I was still a practicing attorney, and I was doing campaign finance law. So there was no connection for me to the entertainment industry other than I love movies and TV. And so I would go and watch, you know, the, the Oscars were like my Super Bowl, and so there were special snacks involved. I'd rope off the TV so the kids knew this was mommy's night. It was a big deal for me. Um, and, and after the nominations, you know, I would try and see all of the best pictures that were nominated so I could really talk my stuff about whether I thought it should win or what have you. Um, but, you know, I said one tweet. Oscar's so white, they asked to touch my hair. And that was it. it you know, there was not any, you know, me ideating and strategizing in my boardroom with my team about how we're going to work on these issues of diversity and inclusion. Nope. I was half dressed in my family room watching like Chris Hemsworth, you know, plays <laughs> Thor, <laughs> uh, you know, on our HDTV in the family room. That was it. Um, and so I had to learn the entire, you know, everything that happens behind the scenes really quickly and decide whether I wanted to be the face of whatever this thing was. Um, because, you know, I'd had viral hashtags before, they sort of come and go. Um, but this one seemed to really have some legs with respect to people being interested about issues of inclusion and diversity and representation in film and TV. Um, and so I sort of became a subject matter ex expert by reading, by writing, by speaking. Uh, and so I tell everyone, you know, if there is something that is of interest to you, um, a change that you want to see made, use the platform that you have. You know, I think I had uh, about 8,000 followers at the time when I created Oscar So White, which is not chump change, but it's not the obscene number that I have now. Um, but it's, it's truly about 
knowing your message, being able to communicate it well, being authentic in your voice, um, being consistent in mm -hmm. what you're saying, um, and acknowledging that you don't know everything, but you're willing to grow. You know, I still learn every single day um, about these issues, and I try to share what I learn um, because there absolutely can be other April Rains or other people who um, have, you know, an issue on their heart that they want to see change. They just don't, they know that they can't do it you know, by themselves. I'm very thankful to social media. You know, if yeah. I had just been standing out on a corner somewhere, yep, yep, yep. this would not have happened. So I get that as well, you know, the importance of social media and sort of um, producing these these issues of sometimes structural change. Um, but it, it is trial and error, um, but, it, but it, I think it takes um, passion, commitment, and authenticity. So final question. We ask this of everyone that comes to a Tell Black Stories. And, um, you know, part of the Tell Black Stories campaign is that there's a range of diverse, specific stories that impact our community. Sometimes a movie will come out and people will be mad because it doesn't have every single black sure. archetype in it. Even though, like, if they were to list every single black archetype, they would miss everything. Everything. Yeah. And yeah. so, but there are so many stories that haven't been told. What? Or maybe, what are the stories or story that you would love to see told? The the black story that um, needs to get out there and that people need to to hear and see and experience. Oh man, there are so many. You know, we are here in 2020. We have never had a romantic comedy with two people from the LGBT plus community. Mm -hmm. So I would love to see that, you know, just mm -hmm. something simple. And, you know, and the, the archetype is always the same, you know, two people meet, yeah. you know, sort of haphazardly, they fall in love and then there's some drama and they have to split up. And then they, at the end, you know, they get back together and it's happily ever after. Mm -hmm. Well, lesbians can do that. Like, you know, there, there's nothing Absolutely. special yes. about that story. So I would love to see that. Um, you know, there are a whole bunch of historical figures that I think we don't talk enough about. So an Ida B. Wells documentary mm. or story would be absolutely fantastic. You know, I know that they're working on the Fred Hampton story. Yeah. So I'm really, really excited about that. Um, you know, my thing is there are so many sequels and remakes um, and retooling of things that have already been done that every time one of those comes out, we lose the opportunity to see something original especially from a marginalized storyteller. Mm -hmm. um, so I, that's what I'm here for. You know, whatever Ryan Coogler wants to make, I, I am absolutely here to support. Yeah. Um, it, you know, but it's just more, more, more of us, you know, and I don't say black films or queer films, I say films that reflect one aspect of the black experience, right? Absolutely. Because there's a difference between Straight Outta Compton and, you know, Black Panther and Beale Street, right? They're all black folks, but they are completely different experiences. And I think we just all need to be more open to things that don't necessarily represent us, but still tell a part of our story. But well, that's the power of storytelling, to reach beyond our experiences and give us an opportunity to see something new and different experience it. You're the best, April. Thank you for joining us. Also, thank you for your work. Um, this is, you know, people are listening to this right now as the Oscar season is in full bloom. So check out um, April's work. Check out the work of Oscar So White. Um, and continue to raise your voice um, in the efforts to ensure that the structures that um, tell our stories, that amplify our voice, um, recognize that um, our voices do matter. So thank you so much for joining us on Tell Black Stories. Thank you for having me. And we'll see you next time.